The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you once again for being with us here on Afternoons with Mike Heard along the Shepherd Radio Network. On the line with me today is Joseph Backholm. And Joseph, it is great having you with me. Hey, Mike, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Now, for those that may not be aware of what Joseph does, he is a, a very important person in the background scenes of all things Family Research Council. He's the Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement. I love that title. Number one, um, this program and really our, all of our talkers that we have on our radio station, we have as our goal, Joseph, this thing of uh, looking at everything we say and looking at life through the lens of a biblical worldview. How I wish more people were doing what you're doing. Wouldn't it be great if the United States media were to take that on as their way of looking at life? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? (laughs) Yeah, that would in fact be an amazing thing. Of course, that would... uh reflect a tremendous heart change, which is exactly what we're working for and, and praying for yes. as well. But uh, yeah, it, thinking biblically is not is not instinctive for most of us. No, it is not. And we make no, in saying all of that and kind of putting out what I know is a preposterous <laughs> statement, but nevertheless, uh, we have to realize that it is the, the Lord that has called you to do what you're doing, and it's the Lord that changes our hearts to make us be able to look through the lens of a biblical worldview and see what's going on. But boy, we are seeing, a we're living in a day where it's, every day you wake up, there's new headlines in the newspaper that really are calling out and screaming out uh, the need for biblical values to once again come back to this country. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. I think we see every day the the pain that we are causing ourselves and the people around us by believing that uh, we are smarter than God. And that's really what it boils down to is we don't want to believe that God was correct about the things that he said are foundational to human flourishing and the things that we need to to uh, be who we have been intended to be uh, because we don't like them sometimes. And so we want to believe that we're actually smarter and uh, we are every day suffering the consequences. You know, it's one thing to believe that you're smarter than God. It's another thing, and I think that both of these are true. There are many people who who just really reject the notion that there is a God. And, you know, I had uh, lunch one time with a guy. In fact, I had it a couple of times with him. He was a neighbor, and he wanted to get with me. He was intrigued because he liked what he saw in my adult kids. He thought, Uh, There's something about them that they're very kind. They're very friendly. I'm interested to find out how you were able to manage that because he had small kids. But as we got together a couple of times, it was very clear that my ability to reach into him was only going to go as far as he was going to let me because at one point, this is what he said, and this is what reminded me of of that when you said what you said. He said, uh, if I were to get to the end of my life, he said, and find out that there's a God, 
He said, I have no question that I would be able to convince him why I should be able to go into heaven. And that was his well, word. And, and that's a, and, and that is a, uh, a view of eternity and a view of God and a view of really a, a view of yourself that really misunderstands who God is. And of course, there's an inverse correlation between your view of yourself and your view of God. The more you think of God, the less you, uh, the, the less you think of yourself, the more you think of yourself, the less you view of God. And that's why you don't see very many humble atheists, um, because <laughs> right. when there is no other authority, it's like, I am the best there will ever be and has ever been. And, and I think you're saying, and that doesn't mean there can't be kind atheists and there can't be considerate atheists. But I think what your, your neighbor there is betraying is this, this view of God that is so small that surely any God would understand how great I am. Yeah. It is really that kind of a thing, isn't it? When you look at just about everything that's going on that causes a believer to shake his head and like, what? How did this come about? And we're in a month right now that is uh, really being celebrated by the current ad- administration in ways that are just mind-boggling. But And of course, I'm referring to Gay Pride Month that's being promoted in just about every major network and every newspaper, it seems, and even uh, businesses via commercials are, are like making their, their thoughts out there. It, it's like the most important need that the administration right now is recognizing. Uh, forget the uh, economy. Forget war in other parts of the world. Let's talk about the need for us to become uh, accepting of, of this whole thing of transgenderism and gay pride. Uh, what, what are you finding at your level, what, what you're doing there? Yeah. Well, you know, in fairness to the uh, Biden administration, it's much more difficult to do substantive things like deal with the economy and deal with borders and deal with international affairs. Cause those are complicated and they're tangible. Virtue signaling is, is, much easier to do. It also is effectively meaningless. It means something to people emotionally in some level to have this person agree with me. But you're not doing anything substantive, which is why it's a great default. But as we have elevated feelings in our culture, that's what we're seeing is, is doing things that are, that are without substance but emotionally gratifying feels like it's substantive increasingly because we have elevated our feelings to the point of, of, of great authority. But you're right that the, the, the Biden administration is, I think, prioritizing some things that the American public uh, would like to see them prioritize differently. The emphasis on, you know, encouraging children to go to drag shows, uh, things of that nature, uh, encouraging children to get gender, um, you know, concealment surgeries and try to change the way their body appears at very early ages when they can't possibly understand the implications of their decision. Uh, you know, if Jesus said, it, you know, it, it, it's better to have a millstone cast or, you know, or tied to your neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea than cause one of these little ones to stumble. This is very, very dangerous territory that not just President Biden is in, but we as a culture are in when we are doing things really to get progressive brownie points as adults and prove how tolerant and, you know, progressive we are. We just let children do 
radically dangerous things to themselves. Yeah, it's true. And you have to wonder what in the world our grandparents would be doing right now. They're they're not only rolling over in their graves, they're spinning in their graves right now. I mean, it's it's just got to be, uh, it would have to be uh, so heartbreaking for people a couple of generations back to, first of all, read headlines and see what is being said that is normal that is not normal, and we all know it's not normal, but not to hear them tell it. You know, just a couple of years ago, it seems, that uh, we had statistics given to us about those that would identify, for example, as transgender. And it was a very, very small fraction, uh, if if indeed, in the light of the whole country, if it even amounted to a 1%. But yet, if you read the headlines today and you follow newscasts, that you would get the feeling that we're suppressing something like 20 or 30 percent of American population by resisting some of the changes that the administration is wanting to put forward. I don't think that's unfair, is it? Well, there is now data that suggests, I mean, uh, of people under the age of 30, something like 30% of them identify as LGBT in some way. And most of that is the T, and that's not because everybody now has gender dysphoria. It's because we've redefined transgenderism in such a way that everyone can claim to be transgender. And this is where this idea that there's an infinite number of genders comes from, because there's this spectrum between masculinity and femininity, and you can be 80, 20, 70, 30, 60, 40, and each one of those points along the spectrum is its own gender, as they would describe it. So young people are being catechized into this new way of, of seeing the person such that anybody who doesn't feel, he doesn't like to, you know, drink beer and shoot things and watch football, that means they're not 100% masculine, which means they're something other than a man. That's how they are starting to see this idea of gender. So they don't experience gender dysphoria in the way that we have always understood that, which is a very small percentage. It's a real percentage, but it's a small percentage of the public. Now, anybody who, you know, isn't feeling particularly feminine or particularly masculine that day can claim to be transgender. And so these numbers are growing uh, because the definitions have changed. Yeah, that's a w- great way of putting it. The definition has changed, and by th- the complicit nature of our news media and the entertainment media that our kids are getting just absorbed in via social media and then, of course, in movies and on television, uh, th- that is creating this new definition, and I believe it's creating this aura for this uh, gender issue to be questioned. I don't think it would have ever been questioned, not to the degree that it is being questioned today, were it not for this complicit nature that we've, we've, we've just unleashed every avenue in, if you will, to their minds and calling them to be confused. And if you just keep doing that over and over and over, you're going to be confused, right? Well, there is no doubt that there is a really coordinated campaign to change the way young people view themselves, view their identity, view their reality, view their purpose. And, and really, to at the center of that is this idea to make sure that our feelings are the center and the foundation of who we see ourselves as. And this is completely contrary to the way Scripture encourages us to see ourselves, because 
Scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? Which means our feelings, though feelings are God-given, they are they are corrupted and they are infected by sin, which means our feelings are not a reliable guide to anything. That's right. That's why we always filter our feelings through Scripture. What culture is telling young people increasingly is that the only truth in your life are your feelings. Mm -hmm. The only way you can be happy is to follow your feelings. And the way you prove you are a good and decent person is by encouraging everyone else you know to also follow their feelings. So you have a bunch of people who are faithfully living out this worldview of my feelings are the source of truth, and they're miserable in the process because you and I understand that we were not created to follow our feelings, that in many cases, our feelings are the gateway to misery. Mm -hmm. And but, but they've been told the exact opposite, which is why they are experiencing uh, exactly the opposite outcomes. And, and the, you know, there's this question that a lot of people have, because this has gone so far out there, and this has become, especially in this administration, it's become so developed now, and without any shame at all, they're just putting it out everywhere. My question to you is, do you think that we've crossed some line? Is there hope for this culture in America right now that we could ever get back to any sense of what would be, I, I don't mean a, a a Christian sense, it would take God for giving us a massive revival anyway for that, but I'm just talking about a general way of thinking. Do you think that we've crossed the line that we we're, we're, can't get back there again? Well... Yes and no. In, in, in some senses, I think you know the what has happened to us culturally is a virus, uh, and, and we have lots of experience thinking and talking about viruses. Yeah, we right? do. When, when when a virus gets into a host, you either kill the virus or the virus kills you. Eventually, that's those are the only two outcomes. And so within instant, but but in in the virus exists within the culture but it exists within certain institutions we see it destroy higher education it's in the process of destroying media um it's in the process of destroying lower education the public school system is so badly infected i'm not sure that can recover but underneath all of that the church still exists we still have culture builders culture shapers who are going to recreate the things that were once created that are being destroyed by this virus because we're not all going to go extinct that's our job as christians is as salt and light we see things that are being destroyed but god is always calling us to create and in many cases to recreate or to restore so is this virus having an impact on the culture undoubtedly is there way too much carnage as a result of it Yes, which is why we have to engage. It's why we cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, because there's victims when we, when we worship idols and when we follow idols. Mm -hmm. But the fact that those ex idols exist, that there are high places in the culture, does not mean there's no hope, does not mean there's not a place for us to build refuges, to build cities with high walls, to build places where the virus no longer has free reign in that culture. And that's what, that's what the church should be. The church should be that place, but the church should also be building other places where that's happening. So are there parts of the culture that are, have crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, and probably aren't recoverable? Yes. Does that mean we as a, as a nation and as a people and as a church have no hope? Of course not. That's right. 
And I'm glad you said that because that's what I was getting ready to lead up to. It really is calling right now. This time is calling the church to be the church of Jesus, right? I mean, this is our only hope and it's always been our only hope. I just recently, uh, and we've got a couple of minutes more and I want to get to your article that you wrote for World Magazine. I just recently interviewed Jonathan uh, Isaac from the Orlando Magic and he wrote the book, Why I Stand. He was one, the only one that stood when everyone else was kneeling uh, uh, during the national anthem. He stood not only for the country, but for the Lord. And I know that you wrote an article in World Magazine about baseball players, right? Yes. The the Tampa Bay Rays had a very similar situation because they had a gay pride night. And sadly, a lot of teams are doing this. And in that case, they changed the logo of their team, the logo that was worn on their uniforms, to incorporate the, the gay pride rainbow. And there were several players on the team who weren't comfortable doing that. And really what the story should have been is how dare this team ask their players to wear the symbols of divisive political issues. You wouldn't expect no, no team would dare to ask their players to wear an NRA logo or a Planned Parenthood logo or the Republican or the Democratic Party's logos. But for some reason, they felt it's appropriate to ask your players to do this. But instead, the story was, how could they not want to do this? And to their, to their great honor and uh, as, a, as a reflection of their courage, the players did the right thing. They were gracious, but they were firm. Um, But it's just a a sign of the times that we're in that anybody would have the audacity to ask somebody at work to wear the symbolism of something that is highly controversial and then have the, uh, you know, the temerity to pretend to be surprised that anyone objects. Hey, Joseph, I got to have you back on my show. Maybe in a couple of weeks, once we get this uh, verdict in from the Supreme Court and all of the yeah. things that uh, is going to happen in this country between now and July the 4th, I'd love to have you drop back in. And it's really great to hear from you. Well, I would enjoy that. Just uh, let me know when I can be helpful. All right. Joseph, back home from the Family Research Council. Always great to have a representative from this great organization on our program. Coming up in a moment, we have another interview lined up for you, also from FRC, Family Research Council. Leela Gilbert will be with us in just a moment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Back on the line here on The Shepherd, segment two, and on the phone with me, yet another one of the FRC, that's Family Research Council members. We've got the senior fellow, for International Religious Freedom on the line right now, Leela Gilbert. It's so great to have you with us today, Leela. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, I enjoy getting to talk to people. Uh, Obviously, anyone from the organization, I've had uh, a number of people from FRC on, uh, and it's, it's always, like I said, a delight to get to talk. You guys are doing not only great things for those of us in the U.S., but your heart expands beyond our borders. And uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, with you, that you have recently uh, had a feature in Religion Unplugged about all that's going on in Nigeria. So we're going to hear some of that story, and it's not all pleasant news. It's kind of heartbreaking stuff that's going on right now. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about yourself, 
what part of the country did you come from? And how is it that you got into journalism like this and writing and working with uh, an organization like FRC? Well, it's a very long story, so I'll be very brief. But uh, I started writing um, about international religious freedom Something like 30 years ago, I wrote a book for Open Doors about a Christian a pastor in China named Wang Mingdao, and it was my first uh, adventure into writing about this kind of thing, and fortunately it did well, and it got my attention, and in those were the days of, of the communists in, in the USSR and so forth, and so that got me involved with some of those dissidents, and then as years went by, I just kept learning more, you know, things people contact you after you do something like that. So mm-hmm. over the years, I was from California originally. I grew up born and raised there. Um, in 2006, I went to live in Israel, and I lived there for 10 years, and during that time, we were dealing with ISIS, and we were dealing with real radical Islam. And so I was able to visit some of the refugees that were in Iraq and in Erbil. And so, you know, over the years, this has just grown to be something that I'm pretty focused on because it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And we're getting more access to information. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. It's just something that I think the Lord put on my heart, but he's also opened doors literally and through the organization, but many other organizations to actually speak and write. And yes, FRC has been a great blessing to me because they really want to talk about this and not just about our problems in America, but this is these are our brothers and sisters that are really dying for their faith, and we have to remember them. I agree completely. We need to remember what's going on. And it's so easy, I think, for a lot of Americans. And I, I think it's great that you lived in uh, you know, Israel for these 10 years. That really does change things. But I think people who really never travel beyond our borders, Americans are, are kind of known for thinking only that the whole world is just like well, they would do what we do in America. And it's so easy to have just a narrow focus. Would you agree with that? Oh, I agree 100%. And also, you know, I was able to travel to Africa. I was actually in East Africa in Uganda for a couple of trips uh, years gone by. And so, again, you know, you just suddenly discover a different world, a different environment and, and humor and music and everything. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. And we do get narrow-minded. And we do have a lot of problems to think about here. But but we're blessed. I can tell you, we are here to help them because we still have the means to do that. Well, we carry on our uh, radio station a program called Voices of the Martyrs. So every week I'm hearing stories about Christians being just at, at sometimes brutally murdered and uh, abused and threatened and at the very minimum harassed by people in uh, other countries. And I know that your work, uh, again, on this article, you highlight what's going on in Nigeria. Share a little bit about that. Yes, thank you. Well, Nigeria has been a problem country for a long time. I mean, I think since the early 2000s, when I first began to hear about it from Baroness Cox in England, I wrote a book about her and learned about these terrible stories. But now it's almost a meltdown of of abuse of Christians and really murders and slaughters and carnage. And, you know, they're losing their homes. They're burning their churches. It's really shocking. And uh, very little is known about it in this country. So we're trying to keep 
focus on that and trying to get prayer, but maybe more than that, maybe get our government to take some steps as well. You you know, under the previous administration, I know that uh, Mike Pompeo, as the Secretary of State, uh, was able to get Nigeria a designation called the Country of Particular Concern. But inexplicably, it appears, President Biden removed that. And what are the consequences from that removal? It has gotten so much worse. In fact, the numbers in the last year were in the thousands of deaths. I think around 4,000 deaths in Nigeria alone, more than the rest of the world put together. And uh, yes, it, it, it freed them up from any kind of obligation. It looks like the government is at least not paying attention there, but I think they're probably complicit in some of this. Now, when you say complicit, I mean, that is that is the way a lot of us are feeling right now about a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, it would appear you, you look at our own country for a moment in in prices of gas and some of the shortages that we're having in food. It just appears that there's a blind eye and a deaf ear to the needs that are going on. And and we know that to be true here in America, but what you're saying, it's happening elsewhere as well. Oh, yes, it's happening very much elsewhere. And our government has kind of turned a blind eye, but that, that government, we know that they don't respond when people call for help. We know that there have been incidents where soldiers have shot into the crowds, not into the guys doing the dirty work. We know it's happened. It may not be every time, but they just don't show up when somebody calls for help. And so we think there it's you know, there's something going on there. Most of the government is radical Islamist uh, from the Fulani uh, tribe. And they're, they're, it's an ethnic group that is large in Africa, and they're not all radical. But this group of leadership in Nigeria is, as far as we can tell. So there's a real problem, and our country should be doing much more. But there's oil there, and who knows what else is in the works. What do you think, apart from uh, any political nature between countries, what do you think people say over there about this kind of abandonment from the United States? What are they saying? Well, of course, the leadership of the churches, and this would be the bishops and the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church, and then some of the Protestant groups as well, are just pleading for help, and they don't understand why America's not doing anything. I think they've come to the same conclusion we have, that our leadership is is just turning a blind eye and maybe even doesn't care what happens to the people there. It sure seems that way. But yes, they they appeal and they write to us. We interview them, we talk to them, and and you know nothing changes. Hmm. Leela, when you uh, look at uh, over the shoulder over the past couple of years, we've gone through, and I know that you're, you're living in uh, Israel would have, I'm sure, given you lots of connections where uh, you still have those connections alive to this day. Uh, tell us a little bit about the impact on you and your life from living out of the States for that kind of time? 
Oh, it was a life-changing experience. First of all, I met some of the most wonderful people I've ever known in Israel because I've learned that friendship in Israel means something much deeper than it can mean here because a lot of people have suffered. Almost everyone I knew there had been had experienced terrorism, had lost someone to terrorism. Somehow they've been wounded or lost someone. And so they take things seriously, and friendship is deep and loving. And I, yes, you're right. I'm very close to them all to this day. But it's also closer to Iran. It's closer to all of these countries that are surging in to attack Israel. The stories are constant. We, I was there during the Ahmadinejad years in Iran, which it, it, it was very nerve-wracking, but also the radicals uh, that attack Israel from Gaza and so forth. So you're living in a, a world where it's not just peaceful, let's go to the market today, everything's fine. Things happen, and there were incidents. And so I think I learned that that's more like the real world than living in the United States. And um, and they're very God conscious there. They're not all believers in Jesus, of course, but they, they're very, they have a sacred view of life. And so I felt very comfortable in that environment. What do you think right now that uh, people can do in America? What are some of the things that you've seen that are tangible expressions or protests or letters to be written? What can people do right now to bring about a, a heightened awareness in the American people about this real loss of religious freedom? I think it's important to start at the church level and for pastors to seek prayer for every Sunday. You know, some of the more formal churches have a prayer that's sort of said every Sunday, but they include local things to have a country every Sunday prayed for so that people know there's a problem. And then from there, I think the main thing is to contact our legislators and let them know we care about these things. I mean, it's just not that tough to write a letter or to even make a phone call to the to your representative, wherever you are, and say, look, I just found out there was a massacre in Nigeria last week, and they're blaming it on climate change, and we happen to know that it was radical Islamists. We want something done about this. And that, you know, these are things where we need to speak up, not only to God, but to our leadership, because we do have a lot of power in this country that's not being used in defense of Christians. Are you seeing any, uh, let's say, leaders in America that are really rising up right now and taking a special note about these things? Are, are any names come to your mind? Well, yes. I mean, the, the one that's retired now is, of course, Frank Wolf, who was the leader of Religious Freedom Act, the Religious Freedom Act that started all this really rolling. But yes, today we have uh, representatives like Mike Waltz in Florida. Um, I think that um, I'm trying to think of some names off the top of my head. But yes, they're usually Republicans, but there are some Democrats. And I know there's one from California that have, that works, for example, on behalf of Coptic Christians in Egypt. They're there. But you have to find out what your representative believes in and, you know, try to correct his course if he's wrong or her course. But, yes, there are those that care, but Go they're not in, in big numbers. Going back to Nigeria for a second, what are some of the most immediate needs that we as Americans can be praying for uh, them and for their safety? Our country, our policy right now is that the cause of this violence is climate change and resources, which is a complete lie. These are radical Islamist attacks mm. where people 
call Allahu Akbar when they do the killing. And it's, it's clear. And so the first thing we need to do is, is refute that myth that this has to do. Of course, there's climate change. And yes, there were problems with farmers and this and that. That doesn't mean they have to attack churches and slaughter people weekly uh, because of that. And I, we need to educate our legislators about what's really going on and not buy into this myth of climate change and, and resources. And that's why they're murders. It makes no sense. Wow. Yeah, there's, it's heartbreaking, really, when you think about it. And we can dismiss everything, it appears to them, I'm sure, that we just dismiss all of this because of this issue of global warming or now climate change. And it's so crazy when it's uh, very evident to anybody who's really looking what's going on. But we've used that phrase, a blind eye, and that does appear to be happening right now. You have written 60 books, and uh, a lot of these books are on these these type of, uh, I guess you could say, touchstone type of issues that really touch nerves in people and, and really are important issues, culturally speaking. What are you working on right now? Well, there are a couple of books that are coming out. One just came out. I wrote an, an update of Baroness Cox's work, and she's an international religious freedom activist from London who's in Parliament. She's a life peer in the House of Lords, and she's done some of the most amazing work I've ever seen, and I believe I know her well. And so I really am proud of that book, and it's available on Amazon and so forth. It's called Baroness Cox, Eyewitness to a Broken World. But also, you probably don't know this, but Family Research Council has a book coming out next month called Heroic Faith. No, oh, I had not heard. Persecution. And we're, it's going to be released in mid-July. And we're, I helped author that one as well, along with General Boykin and my colleague Ariel Del Turco. So I think that's one that your listeners might find interesting. And give us the name of that one more time. It's called Heroic Faith. Hope Amid Global Persecution. Well, the website for the Family Research Council is frc.org, and you can go to that website, and I'm sure there are some resources that will be noted there and uh, give a, a chance to get these books and other kinds of resources going on. I, I'm sure that this is a, a time that uh, if you... Let it. It could just drive you crazy, right? Uh, I mean, every day, 24-7, there seems to be more loss in the uh, category of religious freedom. It's happening in the United States at a record pace. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that more than most people would ever believe, our country has changed. Uh, some say we're now post-Christian. Would you agree with that? I think it's it's a fair observation. I think there are a lot of Christians that are not being very vocal right now. They're just watching this in horror. But yes, I think our country has more publicly denied their faith, the, the faith of the people, Yeah, for, for sure here. But I think what really, it, for me, it's not so crazy-making, it's heartbreaking to hear these stories. You know, if you really think about 
little children being left behind or slaughtered. When you think about the people you love and how you'd feel if they if somebody came into their church and shot them dead, oh, 40, yeah. 50, 60 people, it breaks my heart. And I, it's more heartbreaking than nerve-wracking. It's like, what more can we do? And I think that's how I feel. And sometimes I just don't even know what to tell God. I just keep saying, you know, I know they're with you now, but there are people left behind. Show us how to help them. Yeah. And show us steps that we can take. And that's really all that we can do. Pray, 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 my friends. And Leela, it's really been great talking to you today and look forward to checking back in with you in the future. And best of uh, wishes to you and all of your writing. I mean, you're one busy writer and you've got a lot going on. A couple of books already coming out, one I guess already out. And so we'll keep an eye out on you in the future, okay? Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Leela Gilbert from Family Research Council, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom. And we'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Don't go away. Back again today for segment three. On the line with me, a friend that I just love, Don Sipley from Sipley the Best. Welcome back, Don. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me here today. It's really great to talk to you. You're very involved, and I know that in the past couple of years, we were talking before we started recording today on this interview, how that our first interview together would have happened right not long after the big lockdown in 2020. My, how the world has changed since then, right? Man, we I don't think any of us knew what we were getting ourselves into, did we? Mm-mm. Nope, I don't think so at all. By the way, you just caught me drinking a cup of coffee right there. So, I mean, a, a drink of coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think anybody uh, was aware of uh, it, that it was going to take two weeks. You know, we gave right. them two weeks flatten to flatten the curve. the curve. Yeah, that was the phrase. <laughs> two that, years later. <laughs> that's a joke. Yeah. I, I think we were the ones that were flattened. I don't think the curve ever got flattened, but we were. <laughs> the people were flattened. Oh, oh my dear. goodness. But also, another thing that happened, your company... You changed and and kind of restructured yourself during that time frame as well, because you were kind of structured differently in 2020, and you formed Sipley the Best, what, last year was it? Uh, It was September of 2020. Oh, okay. Later Mm -hmm. that year then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how are things going from your standpoint now? First of all, give everyone an explanation as to exactly what Simply the Best offers their business? Yeah, absolutely. So we are an HR consulting firm that has a specialty in recruitment training. So the vast majority of our clients do come to us because they have um, a hiring need and they, they've either tried to do it themselves and, and don't know what they're doing wrong or they know they do it poorly and they need to get it fixed. So what I was able to do over the course of the last two years is I developed a curriculum um, that is provided to all of my clients at no additional cost. I did this through a partnership with Brio Business Academy, which is this amazing online platform for entrepreneurs and business owners who just need help in different segmented areas. So I'm an industry expert on the recruitment side. 
there's industry experts in accounting and in marketing and in insurance. It's a one-stop shop for small business owners who really need some, some additional skills or knowledge, but they're not going to go and get an MBA. They're already running a successful business. They just need the information on where the rubber meets the road. So I think for me, in the infancy of the company, developing that curriculum that people can follow and use at no additional cost, and then being able to step in and supplement them with tasks performed and things like that has really been my differentiating factor against um, other types of companies who may do something similar, but not quite, you know, sometimes people think I'm a staffing company. It's like, no, we're, we're not a staffing company. We're, we're a consultant. We're educating people on how to do this. Well, not just doing it for them mm -hmm, and, and right. charging by the hire. We, our model is a flat monthly fee. Um, no matter how many hires you make, you can make zero or you can make 50. We're here to bring knowledge and support towards those um, HR efforts, whether it's recruitment or compliance or, or whatever the case may be. Now, I wonder if I if I have a, a handle on this one point or not. Mm -hmm. But in, in my experience, as I've talked to a lot of people, I still to this day find a lot of people that are not sure exactly how much they need help in the HR department. Would that be your thought too? Absolutely. So many business owners really underestimate the value that a strong HR leader can bring to an organization. Sometimes, especially with owner operators, they're just too intimately involved in, in their employees' everyday lives and decision-making. They're, they're not making business decisions. They're making personal decisions. And a lot of times they can get themselves into a sticky situation where it might be the right thing to do and the circumstance, but if it's not applied um, equally across the board, they can find themselves guilty of accidental discrimination or, or something like that. So I really kind of come in and, and guide them on how to make business decisions related to their company that are, allows them to love people well. Mm -hmm. What would you think, Don, would be the number one, if there is a, a number one in this department, a number <laughs> one area where businesses who are not yet maybe up to snuff or where they could be with HR, uh, what is the number one thing that really affects their employees in a negative way? I think not really leading with value and culture first. People will do anything that you ask of them if they believe in the mission and the value and the reason why the business exists in the first place. They will go above and beyond uh, for those types of things. So really demonstrating what that is, not only through mission statements and whatnot and employee handbooks, but day to day. If you say you're a person of integrity, are your employees able to really witness that? Mm. Um, oftentimes we have these ideals going into business, but then we get caught in the grind and the grud and the, the hard decisions of every day, and we may waver from those things. So I really think that that's, that's the biggest area is, is people not really sharing their vision and culture and, and the reason that the company exists on a day-to-day -day basis. We need to wake up every day and remind ourselves, why do we serve? So it sounds like that from your standpoint, uh, uh, an attitude in a, an employee would uh, mm -hmm. toward their company that would be positive. It's probably because they feel that they are connected to that Absolutely. company. And, and not it's the just, number one reason why people quit. Yeah, they don't feel like they're a part. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or seen or understood or acknowledged for the blood, sweat, and tears that they put into the organization. They're only maybe considered for the output that they develop. Yeah, that is, uh, I believe that is true. I think so many people, and you know, we live in a culture right now that is is hurting in so many ways business-wise with this new thing that's happened this last year, especially with inflation just jumping off the charts. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is a tough time, and this is, a, I, I would believe, this is the most important uh, thing for businesses that are going to make it. They're going to have to really connect with their employees, aren't they? Well, they, they're really going to have to, especially if we're tiptoeing ourselves into um, a recession here. We've, we've got a lot of the telltale signs of interest rates rising, our stock market plummeting, unemployment's already uh, pretty low. So where, where are we going to go to from here? So I've really been encouraging um, my clients to really take a look at their recession plan and then fortify their current workforce. So when when the waves do hit here soon, that they've got a good, strong relationship with those employees so they can see themselves through these hard times. So how can you help a business owner right now who might be listening to this conversation today? And I think a lot of people would be making the point that we're already in a recession. <laughs> Their business already feels like it's in a recession. Uh, what yeah, what, is, what is going to be the next step? If we're not there yet, what is going mm. to be the next step when that business is going to say, okay, now this is the recession. Right. Well, they really need to determine what they value. Are they going to cut costs at all costs or will they keep their people um, through extreme measures and really see them through a hard time? Um, you, you can say you love your people and they're number one and they're, they're your top priority all you want. But as soon as your, your profit starts to squish, where are you turning to to, mm-hmm. to uh, make up for that money? And if it's your human capital, well, then you're not exactly practicing what you what you preach. Yeah. How can people reach out to you uh, and find information on Simply? Yeah, we are on all social media with the handle Simply the Best, which is my last name proper. S I P is in Peter L E Y. Uh, the best. And that's also our website, simplythebest.com. I really love the play on words of using your last name, which is just minus the M and that a phrase that everybody knows because uh, Don, we all think that you at Sipley are simply the best as well. You do a great job. And one other thing I would love to to talk about, uh, you know, we, we've mentioned the fact that you began this company now and uh, finding out it's in the fall of twenty. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you looking for yourself? How How is it looking for your company and maybe the, the Orlando and Central Florida business area in general for the rest of this year? Uh, are, do you see us definitely headed down that re- that recession trail? Well, it's funny. The The really cool thing about Facebook is, is the memories. And I've actually been saying for a number of years now that 2023 was the year that I expected us to really kind of get hit hard and, and to, to experience these downward times. So um, unfortunately, it looks like I, I might be right on that prediction when others wow. kind of thought I was crazy. But our company, you know, 
my prayer to the Lord when we started was that I could feed my family with this company and, and do it in a way that brought honor to the kingdom. And I look around now and we've got four employees and a handful of contractors that we're working with. Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine I would be supporting four different households. Yeah, so yeah. really what I'm working on is is fortifying my group to where we can withstand a lot of different things. We're doing a lot of cross training. So my team can not only help in their area of expertise, but they can help in other ways, like grow the business, which isn't something that we need right now. We're growing at an uncomfortable rate, but there'll be a time where we wish we had all these these proposal requests going out the door. So we're just fortifying, expanding our skill set, you know, loving each other well, and just knowing that we're going to brace the storm and things are going to be looking a little bit different, but our mission does not change. Our mission is to bless and, and affect the employment market in a positive way that, that glorifies Christ at the end of the day. I love that. That is a great effort and a great motivation. You know, Don, I lived through those high inflation times mm-hmm. uh, back <laughs> at the end of the Carter administration, right before 1980, yes. when interest rates hit like a high of 21%. Gracious. And it, it was nuts, and people were stuck in their homes and really... A lot of people from my hometown, they left to move to Houston, Texas, because mm. Houston, in the middle of that recession, was was booming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, later they were to go through hard times, too. But when you think about all of the things that are ahead, uh, one of the things that if there is a buffer, if there is something that can help a company survive, and that's really what a lot of companies are trying to do right now, it is mm-hmm. going to be in the way that they handle their employees and the way that they uh, kind of... I guess you could say connect, as we talked about earlier, the way they connect with their employees. That could be the make it or break it scenario. Absolutely. For what, if they're going to make it. Absolutely. It it really is at the end of the day. You can do um, absolutely amazing things when you have an elite team behind you that's willing to learn and and do anything um, that it takes to you know, the grit, grit is really a thing that I feel like we, we've lost here recently to, to go through hard times and be okay with that. You know, the Lord never promised us anything easy, but he did promise he would always be there with us. So yes, he did. having a team that's, that's comfortable being uncomfortable and, and have a good enough relationship to be able to have transparent conversations that might be, might be a challenge, you know, and sometimes that's, that's utilizing one of our service, like our outplacement service. If you are found that you do need to do a layoff, make sure you lay off with dignity and, and respect and, and do what you can to see that person into a new job. If their professional home is no longer inside of your organization and we can help accomplish that to where when the person does walk out the door, at least they know they were loved well for the mm-hmm. period of time they were under your charge. Well, it seems now that you're you're giving business owners who may not know the way, you're giving them a way to learn and a way to grow and a way to be kind of equipped for what may well be even more difficult days ahead. Mm -hmm. It's hard right now to imagine gas going any higher, but uh, there are parts of the country right now that they're already experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. We're very lucky here in Florida to be such a transient state just because we do have new people move to our area just just all the time so we do have a little bit of an economic stimulus just in that yes and the fact that we've got a governor that's kept the state open that's uh, <laughs> that's been very good too and i'm grateful for that don give us Absolutely. your website one more time yep it's simplythebest.com simplythebest s i p l e y 
And Dawn Sipley, thank you for being with me today here on The Shepherd. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me. All right. All right. And friends, thank you for joining us as well. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike.